This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi. Hi. Thank you so much for doing this. Oh my gosh. Well, I love and adore you. So I'm so excited to do this with you. Hey, it's Leomi Anderson and welcome to my podcast, Role Model. Every week I am bringing you the biggest inspirations and people who have inspired me along the way. And today I'm really excited to introduce you guys to an incredible individual. You may know her from her family's TV show, Keeping Up With The Kardashians, but since then they have become global icons who are looked to for fashion, beauty, and of course, their presence on social media. And now she's venturing into her new phase of life as a solidified businesswoman with her brand, Good American and Dose Co. We get down to the nitty gritty, talking about what the world's greatest momager is really like. My mom did such a good job at letting us be us, still being there for us, never judging us, like always being there to pick up the pieces when we called her. Cause we, even now I'm still calling her being true to her daughter's identity. I know some people get uncomfortable with talking to their kids about race. Like they think, oh, we live in a bubble. We never have to address that my child is black. I mean, of course you do. You're only setting them up, I think, for failure if you don't. And launching Good American, jeans for real women of the real world. You know, at my biggest, I think I was a 16. I used to not be able to buy the same brands that my sisters bought, or even sometimes the brands we even carried in our own boutique. And when I met with Emma, my business partner of Good American, that was a huge conversation that we both had. And just feeling isolated or embarrassed to go denim shopping used to be my least favorite thing. Without further ado, I present to you guys, Chloe Kardashian. What an intro. Thank you, Leo. Yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I'm so happy to have you on because at One Role Model, we always have the biggest inspirations. And I want to ask you questions that maybe you haven't been asked before or just in a way that you haven't been asked, just so people get to know you in the way that I've gotten to know you over these years. I would love that. After your sisters, Kim and Courtney, graduated from high school, you decided to move to an alternative one-on-one school and you eventually graduated with honours early as well. Can you kind of just explain (laughs) to me what prompted you to move high school? Well, I went to a school called Montclair Prep and I actually really loved it. And then my sisters are, you know, about just a year apart and they went to the same high school and all girls Catholic school called Marymount High School. And then just sort of out of, I guess, habit, I then had to transfer to go there. And I just, it wasn't my thing. It it wasn't to be in a school that had that much structure, but it was, it just, I didn't thrive there. I wasn't excelling. I missed my old school. And then when my sisters graduated, I felt so alone and so isolated. And I just didn't connect. Girls were crazy. Like it was just so, <laughs> it was just was not my thing. I, I don't want to like bash a school or anything like that, but it, it just, it didn't fit for me. And I think you have to know your kids. And 
I wasn't doing that well um, academically either. And so I ended up, we lived in Hidden Hills and I ended up finding this school and it was a homeschool called the Alexandria Academy. I have no idea how I found it. (laughs) And I ended up enrolling myself. Like I was sort of a bad kid. I ended up enrolling myself and I forged my parents' name or something like that. And when my dad found out, he was really pissed off to say the least, but he said, I can't believe how much effort you went to do this. So I'm going to let you ride it out. But if Mm. your grades go under, he was like, I'm ripping you out in two seconds. You're going back to Marymount. And I ended up really advancing and I needed Mm -hmm. that one-on-one focus. I think I just needed to feel just that someone was paying attention to me. There was Mm. so many other kids at the other school and it was, it just wasn't my thing. I kept getting questioned if I was really related to my sisters because I look so differently. I just kept getting, it just, I didn't feel comfortable. I didn't feel safe there. I just didn't feel like I didn't connect. Mm. And so I, I did what I had to do and I actually thrived and I graduated with honors and I graduated early. See, there's a lesson in that already. <laughs> see, sometimes you really do have to do what's best for you. And sometimes if there's any parents listening to this as well, sometimes your kids really do know what they want more than what you can even think for them. You know, like kids know and see, you knew from an early age what your environment was going to be to thrive. Kids know and my parents know me and I, they are still like my dad was really strict and very like by the rules type of person, but he gave me that opportunity. Like he trusted me. I was on a very short leash during that time Mm. and he wanted to make sure I was doing it for the right reasons and not just so I could, it wasn't a homeschool that like my parents were teaching me. It was a place that I Mm. went and I was getting one-on-one education. And so I think that sat better with everyone, but, um, I was, I still had to get a job during that time. Like my parents like, okay, if we're going to not be in a full-time school, you you have to work. And so it wasn't like a free-for-all. I was at home. Where were you working? At a clothing store called Magnolia. It was in Calabasas and I had to... I cleaned the back room and that was my job. Okay, look at you working from a young age. I love that. And at home, growing up for me, it was literally just my mom and my brother, but your family was so big. Can you tell me what it was like growing up with such a big family, especially when Kendall and Kylie joined? I want to know what it was like, a typical dinner with the Kardashian-Jenner clan. When my mom and my stepdad first married, it was my mom had four kids. She had three girls and a boy. And then my stepdad had three boys and a girl. So it was really like the Brady Bunch. And we merged and all (laughs) eight of us were so obsessed with one another. We just thought it was so cool because we didn't have older brothers. And so we just, it was just chaos all day long, that many kids under one roof. And then when we got a little older, Caitlin's kids, they went back and forth to their moms. So it was a little quieter when we got older and then they went to high school and college and all that. Then Kendall and Kylie were born and it just was, Kendall and Kylie were the most incredible addition to the family. I was really young. I was, I don't know, I think 13 or 14, but I swear I thought I was their second mom. Um, (laughs) And I was with them all day long, every single day. And I was utterly obsessed with them. Still am, of course, but it was amazing. (laughs) We have a very interesting family. My dad and my stepdad would play golf once a week with one another. And my dad would come over for family dinners about once a week and he would be there on Christmas. And we were very blended. Of course, it took years to get there, but my dad 
is just the most amazing person. And he just was always grateful that we had a stepdad in our lives that was loving and wanted to add love instead of, you know, separate the family and divide. And my dad always came from a place of respect and more, you can never have too much love. Oh, see, that's a beautiful thing. Do you feel like that's something that you've carried with you throughout your life of just like acceptance and loving one another and just trying to keep the family unit together? I think so. And I think having those examples growing up, even if you're not realizing it, it definitely forms the way that you see other people or how inclusive you want to be towards others. And, you know, my mom was my dad's love of his life. And so if he's able to, you know, be so inclusive and just to love and want love in return and just be, he was so grateful how, um, Caitlin parented us and loved us and just, you know, it was never a divide. There was never a competition. And he always came from a place of gratitude as opposed to like, these are my kids. And I'm sure that was so hard. I can't even imagine. And my dad handled it so well. So did my stepdad and my mom. Um, and if they didn't like each other for any reason, none of us knew. So, and I think that's important too. And I think children shouldn't be affected by what their parents are going to, if you're able to avoid it. I know it's easier said than done. Even how Courtney and Scott co-parent or how just any of us, I think we all lead from respect and love. And that comes from what we grew up seeing. So you were 23 when Keeping Up With The Kardashians first aired. Explain to me what you thought you were getting into versus the reality. (laughs) Girl, I have no idea what we thought we were getting into. I remember Court and I, we just opened up our Dash store and we had a kid's store next door named Smooch. I was so happy just, you know, being a sales girl and this was my store and the way that my mom sort of sold it to us was like, oh, we're going to do a commercial for the stores and it will just make more people come and we'll be successful and blah, blah, blah. And Court (laughs) and I did not care about being on TV. And, you know, at the time it wasn't even a big thing. We didn't understand what it was really. Mm. And I think that was the beauty of it. We had nothing to really compare it to. Yes. I think the Osbournes were out and um, Simple Life and There was a handful of shows, but not like there is today. And not like how your one was either, I feel. None of us thought that hard about it. We were actually told, um, don't get too comfortable here. You guys are filler. I think um, another show couldn't make air. They said they just needed to fill the time slot. So they were like, okay, you're going to film, I think, six episodes. So get to it. You guys are starting next week. It was the fastest whirlwind of what happened. And we were just like, okay, like we're not... We aren't going to have a season two. Let's just be ourselves. Who cares? None of us knew what the hell we were doing and none of us cared. Like we weren't trying to look cute. We weren't trying to act any way that we weren't. And that was the beauty of it because we weren't trying to keep up an image that we couldn't uphold. We were just being us and it, it just took off and we have no idea how it took off or why. And it just, it just was the perfect timing, I guess. Literally the perfect formula. The beauty came from the fact that you guys just had no clue that it was going to be as big as it was. So you were just kind of like, cool, let me go with the flow. Let me see what happens. And it's crazy to think this is your lot. Your last season has just aired. How do you feel about this end of an era? I know it's crazy. It hit us when we announced it for sure, privately, like we were all so sad. You know, the last season, I don't know if this sounds a little narcissistic, but it's actually, it was a sort of rewarding in a way 
or validating, I guess you can say, to have people be sad that we're leaving as opposed to happy that we're leaving. And it made, cause we, you know, it is, it's something it could have gone either way. People could have been like, thank God, get those girls off the air. Like enough is enough. <laughs> and you know, we had, we had a different reaction, which makes me, it made us all feel good and be like, okay, thank, thank God we weren't like torturing people for the past 15 years. Was it weird in the beginning? Like having people feel so connected to you? For me, it's such an honor that people feel so connected. And it's, I don't take that lightly. And I definitely, I tried to be as respectful and aware of that as possible. But at the same time, it's also a great deal of pressure too, because I'm still just living my life. I don't, when I film, I don't film like, ooh, what am I going to say today? Or who am I going to impress? Or what image am I putting on today? It's, we film so much that you don't even have that opportunity, I think, to create a fake um, persona. And having we we intentionally kept our same film crew because we were so comfortable. So our guards were down. So we would talk about anything and we would, you know, either be dressed to the nines or you would see us working out or giving birth or like you were so comfortable to be any which way because we you know, we methodically kept the same crew for a reason. We know there's a great responsibility that people are looking up to us at the same time. We're like, as you said, I was 22 or 23 when I started. I'm going to make the mistakes that any person in their 20s does just trying to figure out life. And I don't want to, you know, have that held over my head for the rest of my life. But I think that's why I chose to be so vulnerable as much as I could showing like, okay, this was a choice I made. I made a really bad decision or look at this. Like I showed my DUI and I expressed how stupid and careless and irresponsible that is. I'm not trying to deny I did that or live one life on camera. And then in paparazzi, you see I'm this wild animal that's getting DUIs. It's I tried to live a very honest life, both on camera and off camera. And, um, Hopefully people respected that, even if I'm criticized for mistakes that I've made or if I'm criticized for, you know, choices I've made or, you know, staying with men or whatever I'm criticized for. At least I hope people can walk away and say at least she was true to what she was doing and I wasn't putting on a show for anybody. But now with social media, do you not feel that it added an additional kind of layer of um, pressure for you in a way? For sure. You know, when we first started... I know there was like MySpace and Twitter and all that, but it wasn't Instagram came along later. And I think Instagram it's, I think it all, I think all social media is a gift and a curse and it's how you allow, like you have to be really mindful how you allow it to control your life because it very well can control it or consume it. And you have to be strong enough to not allow it to. And you know, I, do think there's a great deal of pressure. I think in the beginning, all of us were just evolving with Instagram and we were just like, oh, this is fun. And it's like a photo sharing app. And then it turns into, it just got a little more and then you get more exposure. And now people have more access to now critiquing you or to now feel they have the right to judge you or to just tear you apart. And whether that be bad or good, I'm not here to say that I'm just, for me personally, it became unhealthy and I had to learn, okay, I could still use Instagram and I'm still going to post and do what I want, but I'm just going to post and maybe like drop the mic. I'll post and I can't read all the comments. I started learning the comments were making me crazy. 
or just people on there, you know, they create these crazy accounts that are just like troll accounts. And like, to me, I can't imagine ever taking my time and even commenting something mean on another person's page. I would only comment something kind. Yeah. It, that part blows my mind, but I, I still, this is a little cliche or corny. I have to say like hurt people, hurt people. And I have to imagine if you are saying these things to me, man, you must be really lonely or isolated or hurting in your life that you're even taking the time to do that because our thoughts are boomerangs. So if you're sitting here saying this to me, it's because you're getting that all back right to you. And I I have to more lead with empathy and understanding as opposed to either clear my name all the time and prove that this isn't really the way I am or trolling back at someone. Like that's just, I think, a bunch of wasted energy, but I'm... I think that took years for me to get to this place. Definitely. I can understand that. How do you feel your relationship with social media has changed, especially since becoming a mom as well? No matter what you do, people are going to feel they have access to your child, et cetera. So how do you balance being a mom and also social media? You know, it's interesting before I had true, I'm sure I was someone's like, I'm never going to put my kid on social media. I'm sure that was neat. But once you have a kid and you're like, they're so freaking cute. Like you just want to post. I know everyone feels that way. So, and my life is with her. So if I'm doing something normally, she's with me and I just, I post her, but hearing everyone be like, people will just say things. And I'm like, Oh, shut the fuck up. Like I'm going to put my kid in harm's way. Or, you know, I'll hear comments like get her eyes checked or she's too tallish. Are you over (laughs) like crazy things? I'm like, everyone mind your business. You really have to be comfortable and just say, you know, you're doing the best you can do as a mom. I know my daughter's completely great and fine. So everyone else can just shut up. And if they want to see a great photo of my kid come here, if not, just don't look at it. Like it's in, people are insane. But with true, I definitely try to not be on my phone as much because, you know, kids, they mimic what they see. And, you know, it's so easy nowadays for everyone to be on their phone and I get it and I'm not judging. But for me, when I'm with true, I try to be really present. And as much as I can avoid being on my phone or I try to step away because I don't want her thinking I'm always on this device when I'm with her. And I think just teaching them by example, too, I think is really important. I want to talk a little bit about Good American and just talk to me about how it came about. And was it your own personal experiences that made it so important to you to have an inclusive brand? Interestingly enough, you know, like I said earlier, I definitely having another denim brand I didn't think was needed in the market. But I did think having a denim brand that was inclusive of just a full size range and not a size range that, you know, someone thinks is acceptable, but a legitimate size range for like the everyday woman, whether that be super petite or if you are curvy and fabulous. Like, I just think, why should one brand limit themselves? And, you know, at my biggest, I think I was a 16, a size 16, and I used to not be able to buy the same brands that my sisters bought, or even sometimes the brands we even carried in our own boutique because, you know, the sizing wouldn't go up that big, which is crazy because in America, I think the average size is a 14 or 16. When I met with Emma, my business partner of Good American, that was a huge conversation that we both had. And, um, just feeling isolated or embarrassed to go denim shopping used to be my least favorite thing. 
because nothing would fit and it wouldn't, or my butt would look flat or there would be a gap in the back of the jeans or all these things that I didn't feel like denim was made for like the female body, which every girl has a different sort of shape. And um, we talked about that and we talked about how important it was to us to keep, if someone was going to pick up Good American to make sure they had to carry the whole size range, they can't separate it. They can't only pick and choose the sizes they want. We wanted everyone to feel included. And we stuck to our belief system and Nordstrom's, I think was the first department store to pick us up and they carried the whole size range and they didn't separate onto different floors. I was used to being ushered all the way to the top to go where like, you know, the bigger girls went. And I was so embarrassed about that. I was like, all my friends are, you know, in this one section, I have to go all the way to the attic and bring a flashlight and find, you know, (laughs) my clothes. But, you know, it was risky to do that, but it paid off. And sometimes, you know, what's the risk versus reward? And if something doesn't scare you, normally there's a reason because you're doing what everyone else is doing. And sometimes it's good to be scared. Sometimes it's good to go against the grain and to believe in yourself and just to, have faith that you can make a change. And, you know, like I said, Good American's now going to be five in October. And every year we get, I think, better and better. We are perfecting our brand. We're still considered a baby brand, but listening to our consumer, listening to the women, we created a size 15 because we noticed between uh, the size 14 and 16, there was a need for a different size. And we created that. And I think just listening to your consumer is so important, no matter what field you're in and really trying to, you have to be able to go with the flow. And if you hear that people are requesting something or you hear a demand, you need to supply that demand. And it's as simple as that. Have you ever considered doing any collaborations in the future? Like what was your ideal collaboration? And would it be in the denim section? Would it be in the athleisure section? Uh, Uh, I know. uh, I see where you're going there. (laughs) Um, No, you know, we would definitely be open to doing a collab. I don't know specifically if it would be categorized or if it would be just like an overall like collab as a whole brand where we can kind of do everything like a capsule, but just with like kind of hit every little point I think would be really cool. And why not? But denim is definitely where we started. And that's the bait, like that's my baby. And what do you think you've learned about yourself as a businesswoman since launching Good American? You know what? I learned really to trust my instincts. I think we all can get, especially when you're new in a business or when you're starting your first company and you know, things can be so scary and intimidating, but you have to remember how you even got to the point that you're at now. And that's because of you and you believed in yourself. And sometimes when you get in a room with really powerful, smart, successful people, sometimes without you realizing it, you can dumb yourself down or you start to second guess yourself, or you don't speak up the way you want to, or you don't make the suggestions because you're intimidated by being in this room. But You have to remember these people wanted to work with you for a reason. They saw something in you and you shouldn't dim that light. And that's something I had to learn, you know, just just to always stop second guessing myself, be confident. Don't let, I call it the white noise. Don't let that white noise in. Going back to social media, you, people have so much access to you now and people that don't even know you, don't know your journey, they'll throw stones and they'll critique you. And we're human. It's only natural that sometimes those things that you read start playing like a soundtrack in your brain. It's only natural, no matter how strong and confident you are. 
but you have to drown that noise out and you have to, you know, start speaking these motivational things to yourself or saying, no, I got this. I'm badass. I got here. Like it's okay to remind yourself on how far you've come, where you are, where you started. And sometimes it's good to say, look who the fuck I'm in a room with. Look who I'm at a meeting with. Like, I don't care how big you are. You have to sometimes big yourself up and say, okay, like I got here. So you don't forget every one of us needs to big ourselves up. And if we're not cheerleading ourselves, then who else is going to do it? And I think the biggest thing I've learned was I just remember in the beginning, I would be a little more intimidated to say how I was feeling or to stand up for like an idea that I wanted. Cause I would be like, maybe that sounds stupid or it, it's okay even to say things. And if they do sound stupid, that's also okay. You're learning and you're, you're still being true to who you are. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. You have recently become an ambassador and a co-owner of the Collagen Supplement Dose & Co, which, by the way, I love. I have it every Thank single day you. when I'm back in the UK. The caramel one, that's my bitch, okay? So, oh, my God. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for sending it to me. And I kind of wanted to speak about this because how do you pick which brands to align with? You could have your choice of basically any sector, any brand. Everyone would, like, die to work with you. So how do you pick who you want to work with? With Dose & Co. that actually happened really authentically, I was in Cleveland, I was done breastfeeding, and I was trying other collagen companies. My hair started falling out and from breastfeeding, and um, some of my girlfriends said, try collagen. I did, and I didn't really notice anything. I was like, okay, I mean, it's fine. I don't taste it. It's fine. And then someone that lived in Australia said, I'm going to send you this one brand Dose and Co. And I was like, whatever. They said, no, seriously, take it in like three weeks. You'll notice a difference. So I was like, okay, I can wait three weeks. That's fine. So I did it. And I kid you not, in a, three weeks, my hair, I started getting more baby hairs. My nails were growing like crazy. I saw significant changes very quickly. And all women want instant gratification. So I was like, okay. And I ended up reaching out to the company and telling them how much I love them and would they start selling in the US. And I was like fan mailing them and I just love them. And then the rest is history. But I loved it because it was something that I genuinely used and I genuinely responded to. And to me, that's really important. I don't want to promote things that I really don't have faith in or really use in my everyday life. I think I've just passed that now. I don't care if other people do that. I just think, you know, I've just, that's just not what I'm doing these days, but I've done it before. Trust me, we've all been there. We've all been there, but I will say that I really do love Dose & Co as well. And you're so right about it, making your nails stronger and your hair stronger. So, I mean, you heard it here. She really do be using that Dose & Co, okay? <laughs> As we've discussed, you are a mom yourself to a beautiful daughter named True. What piece of advice or life lessons do you think are the most important that you've learned that you want to pass on to her? I think something 
that I already know I'm going to have trouble with is letting her make her own mistakes. And that's how we all learn in life. And I know I'm going to have to, as I, my mom did such a good job at letting us be us still being there for us, never judging us, like always being there to pick up the pieces when we called her. Cause we, even now I'm still calling her and I'm like, mom, I need your help. Like that poor woman, I feel so bad for her. But, um, (laughs) I know it's a never ending journey being a mother. It's not just when they're 18 and you just forget about them. Kick rocks. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it's crazy, but you really think that as a kid, you're like, okay, after but like, you're always their mom. That's always turned on. And I think just, I need to let true make her own mistakes. That's how she's going to learn. But I think just teaching her things. Like I think a good reputation is more valuable than anything else in the world. Just always try to leave an lead an honest life that you're proud of. And I mean, it's like the most simple things that I think we forget, like, you know, do unto others as you want done to you and really just like lead with kindness. I know it sounds so simplistic, but we humans, I think, muddy up the most simplistic things in life. And if we stuck to the simplicities of the world, my, what a better world this might be. Exactly. What kind of world do you want True to grow up in as a woman of color? Like she is, you know, a black girl and the world is so crazy for us. And we experience so many things like what do you want to be different? And how, as a mom, are you going to be able to like navigate that space? I will be always learning and trying to do the best I can do as being her mom, but I'm obviously not a woman of color, but I do want her to be exposed to as much inclusion, but variety as possible. I don't want her living in a bubble thinking, you know, cause we do have this very privileged life. And I, I want her to know all types of life and all types of living and be very aware of that. My dad did that with us. He was able to provide us a very good life, but he didn't come from that necessarily, but he always exposed us to the realities of life. I know some people get uncomfortable with talking to their kids about race or they think, oh, we live in a bubble. We never have to address that my child is black. I mean, of course you do. You're only setting them up, I think, for failure if you don't talk about race and probably the things that they're going to endure once they're in, quote, the real world. The beauty of having some of my sisters in the same situation is we get to have those conversations probably together. But yeah, I definitely a world surrounded by love, but still very aware that she is a woman of color and I have to educate her as best as I can with still educating myself at the same time. That's exactly what we need in this world. I think we have to have these uncomfortable conversations. We can't just put our head in the sand anymore. You know, people need to address things. Of course, we don't want to overexpose our children um, or tell them things too young. And I don't know when that time is, but I think I'll learn it when I'm in it. I can't say right now, oh, it's seven. I don't know when that is. I'll know when, (laughs) when it happens or when she starts getting curious or even if she's exposed to something at a young age, like you'll just know. Even if you do live in a bubble, whoever you are, I think that can be really jarring than when your kids are, you know, set free. Then they're gonna be so either devastated, hurt, traumatized, confused, overwhelmed. I think it's our duty as parents to really expose them while they have the safety and security of their parents to, I think, 
communicate that with them and still guide them and help them instead of just like letting them out into the free world. And now they're like, wait, this isn't what I, I didn't hear about this. I had no idea this was what real life was. No, it's very right. True is privileged, but what part of your life that she's going to have and she has now, do you wish that you could kind of shield her from? Because as we've discussed, fame comes with both positives and negatives. But see, I almost feel like this is now for everyone, like just people feeling they have the right to criticize and scrutinize you. But sadly, I mean, you can be a girl, you know, down the street. You don't even have to be famous anymore for people to now feel they have the right to do that because you posted something on a social platform. I feel so badly for children because I think it's so unhealthy for one, even for kids to have this much access to the way of the world. Like as a kid, if there was something terrible going on in the world, I didn't know about it. I was a nine-year-old kid. And now nine-year-olds, like I will be around some of my nieces and nephews and the things they talk about, like they know politics and they know just like the social injustices of the world. And some of it's great, but some I'm like, you're too young to know some of these things. I wish I could keep her off the internet as long as possible, but that's just really unrealistic. I have to also just let things go a little bit that's out of my control. I just wanted to ask you one last question, which would be just before you started filming, like what advice would you give yourself about the years that you had coming up? I wish I was better at not letting people that I don't know and probably will never know affect me. And even till this day, like I have good days and I have bad days. And some days I might hear 500 beautiful things about me. And then one person will say something and I just, I'm having a bad day. And I take that little thing that somebody wrote about me. And I'm just like, I believe that. And I harp on it. And I start now manifesting that. And then I'm speaking unkindly to myself in my head. And I just get down on myself back then. I wish I told myself more that the only thing we can control is our thoughts and how we talk to ourselves. So just speak kinder to yourself. I can't control everyone else, but I can control me. And I think the kinder I speak to myself on a daily basis, the more I will believe that. And in turn, the more confidence I get. And and then those little things, those little passive aggressive comments that people say, or just the cruel things, they'll kind of roll off my back easier because I'm so uplifted and full of this positivity train instead of getting down on myself. Oh, that's a great piece of advice. And I think that that's a good one for all of our listeners as well to take home because we all have those days where the negative comments seem to outweigh the positive, but you're right. It is about manifesting and speaking good into yourself, pouring into yourself, loving yourself. And that kind of makes the world a little bit more easier and a little bit easier to bear. So thank you for that piece of advice. And with that, everybody, this episode of Role Model is finished. Thank you so much, Chloe, for coming on and for inspiring me throughout my career and just just being an inspiration to everyone with just how honest vulnerable and real you've always kept it so thank you so much for coming on role model and yes i'm just so happy that you were able to do this thank you well thank you for having me and you're so good and it's so easy to talk to you it's just conversational and you know you're so great at this so i'm so happy for you i feel like i'm your cheerleader big sister rooting you on because i'm really just so happy for you Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you.
Role Model is a Something Else production, produced by Harriet Wells. Additional production from Steve Ackerman. The executive producers are Claire Solon and Chris Skinner. Special thanks goes to Ellen McLeod, Charlotte Tahira, Camilla Baden, Jesse Donnelly, Emma Lansden, and Mark Rivers. The sound engineer was Gulliver Tickle. Next time on Role Model. I probably would never have talked about being a cannabis user had I not realized, like, the role that my silence plays in the persecution of other human beings. People would ask me, like, when did you start to feel better about yourself? Like, when, like, what, what do you do? And so I found myself talking about yoga quite a bit. And I was like, yeah, but I never talk about smoking weed. And that is a huge part of how I'm keeping it together. Like, and it felt dishonest at a certain point. I'm like, I'm not even telling people what's good. And so I was like, okay, why am I not telling people what's up? Because I'm afraid.